Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Uh, Well, good morning. Welcome to Liberty. My name is Tim. I serve as one of the pastors here, and uh, we're really glad, especially if this is your first time uh, with us. Welcome. Um, and thanks to all of you who have uh, taken up the, the writing your names uh, down. We're just kind of trying that out for a while. Uh, we believe each person matters to God, and so we shouldn't be referred to as, hey, you guy or woman, uh, but by your name. And so uh, thanks, for, thanks for leaning into that. Uh, well, our text for this morning, it's Luke 4. Uh, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, I will read our text in a minute. Uh, But first, in two years, we will inaugurate a new president of the United States. Imagine with me, your preferred candidate wins. So, it's a glorious day. The, The Capitol is in the background, the crowds are overwhelming, and finally a president that you can believe in is taking power. Your hopes are higher than ever. And the president nails the speech. And you watch all the way as the president and her family, or his family, (laughs) arrives at the White House. But then imagine uh, with me, this, this new president comes back out of the White House, and they're wearing tattered clothes, and they announce, I plan to spend my first 40 days in office in the wilderness of Utah. I will not eat nor drink during that time. I will spend my first 40 days starving in the desert. And then they board a helicopter and are taken away to the wilderness of Utah. My assumption is if that happens, you would immediately regret your vote. All your hopes are now dashed, and a crazy person is operating in the White House again. This outlandish scenario is exactly what Jesus does. Over the last several months or several weeks, we've worked through the first three chapters of Luke's gospel. And for three chapters, Luke has gotten us ready for the launch of Jesus' ministry. And we've heard incredible things about who Jesus is going to be. He is going to be the King, the Messiah. To give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death. He's going to fill the hungry with good things. And he's going to take mighty, unjust, oppressive rulers and take them off their throne and establish a reign of peace and justice. And last week, Daryl preached about Jesus' baptism where God the Father says over Jesus as he's being baptized, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, that line is a quotation from Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 was read whenever a new king was installed in Jerusalem. Psalm 2 was a part of their inauguration ceremony. And a priest would read over the new king God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
And in Daryl's text for last week in Luke 3, God himself speaks from the heavens. These words about Jesus. God himself is the inaugurator of the new Messiah's reign. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God himself inaugurates Jesus, Messiah, true King. Jesus is ready to begin his reign, his ministry. This is everything we've been waiting for. So what's he going to do? He's going to go starve in the desert. And that should make no sense to any of us. What is he doing out there starving in the desert? Let me try to read our text and and figure out why. Um, the text is Luke 4, 1 through 13. So if, if you're able, I'm going to ask, would you, would you stand as I read God's word for us? Uh, Luke 4, uh, verse 1 to 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and... On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And this is God's word. You may be seated. So, why is Jesus starving in the desert? Uh, well, let's pursue that question together. And the, the first bit of clue we get is, is the bread. Jesus is out starving in the desert. The devil shows up. And I recognize in, in our modern day, a devil sounds ridiculous. I'll speak to that in a moment. But for now, just go with it. There's a devil, and he comes to Jesus. And the devil tempts Jesus and says to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. So why is this so tempting to Jesus? That's a really complicated question with a very profound answer. So you might want to write this down. It's pretty profound. Why does the devil tempt Jesus to turn a stone into bread? Here's the answer. Because Jesus is very hungry. I'm actually serious. That's that's pretty profound. The Son of God... The Messiah, full of the Spirit, is hungry. 
And this should be confusing to us because one of the prophetic words that Jesus' mom spoke over him when he was born were these words. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich, he sit away empty. The one who is to end hunger is hungry. Why? Well, Jesus gives an answer. He quotes Deuteronomy 8.3 back at the devil, which it's important to know whenever Luke in particular quotes the Old Testament, he doesn't do so always with, with precision because he assumes you're going to go back and read the story. So all he quotes is a bit of Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live by bread alone. If you read on in Deuteronomy, it says the reason we do not live on bread alone is because we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But Jesus is saying, I don't need bread because I hear the voice of my Father. But if you even back up further into the the Deuteronomy story, that moment happens where where God has freed Israel from slavery to Egypt. He's miraculously split the Red Sea in two so that Israel could escape the violence and the oppression of the Egyptians. But then they ended up in the desert. And they were hungry. And they start thinking to themselves, we wish none of this would have happened. We just wish we could go back to Egypt Because that place didn't require faith. We may have been slaves, but at least we had food. We didn't have to trust God in the desert for where our next meal might come from. And as Deuteronomy and Exodus detail, this is a moment of failure. Rather than experiencing and living out the dramatic deliverance of God, living by the voice of God, they just wanted to eat. And so they failed. Jesus doesn't fail. He says, hearing the voice of the Father is better than a sourdough loaf from Joe's bread. I don't need to eat because, as he says elsewhere, I have food you know nothing about. Well, this is not the only time in the Bible where There's a devil-like figure encouraging a man to eat something. That other story is in Genesis 3. And when the devil goes at Adam and Eve in the garden, he says this to them. You need to eat of this fruit, and here's why. Because God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The devil's saying to Adam in that moment, don't listen to the voice of God. He's holding out on you. You can be like God. You can decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong. Don't listen to to God's voice. Listen to your voice. And now we've had a few thousand years of history of how that works out by uh, how we've lived. Listening to our own voice. Following our own hearts. Shutting out the voice of the Father. Believing that, that any expectation, any rule... Any limits that he might give us is harmful to us. It's wrong. I mean, that message is everywhere in our culture. It's why uh, Taylor Swift tells you to shake it off. Just a few of us? Okay, that's fine. Well, good Taylor, she she tells us the haters are going to hate. 
and the players are going to play. But just shake it off. Live how you want. Don't let other people determine how you should live. And that's the same temptation the devil's giving Jesus here. Use your power for yourself, Jesus. You are the Son of God. Why are you starving in the desert? Take this stone. Fill your belly. But this temptation is not compelling to Jesus. Because he, he knows the voice of his Father. He has food. He has bread that we know nothing about. So back to my question. Uh, who's, or why is Jesus out here starving in the desert? Well, not for the reasons we often find ourselves starving in the desert. One of the reasons why human beings struggle, why our life can become so difficult, is we listen to our own voice. Or we listen to any voice but the Father's. My own life, the moments where I've ended up starving in the desert, largely been because my own voice sounded much wiser than the Father's. But that's not why Jesus is in the desert. In fact, he shows us he actually has access to a spiritual strength we know nothing about. And we just heard what the Father said over Jesus at his baptism last week. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. That voice guides and directs and determines Jesus' life, and it does so here. He says to Satan, I don't need bread because my Father is well pleased in me. So, whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice directs your steps? Is it your own? Uh, is it someone else's? Could you say what Jesus said? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So that's temptation one. Well, that temptation fails, so the devil tries again. Um, so if that, if that doesn't work with, with bread, the, the devil's now going to try worship. And the text, is, it's interesting uh, to me here because... Uh, the devil seems to like bring Jesus outside of time. Verse 5, the devil took him up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, to you I will give all this authority, their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. So I don't know how this works, but Jesus sees empires, kingdoms, kings, cities, Military mights, navies, all of it. And the devil says, all that, that's mine. And I'll give it all to you if you worship me. Uh, which, to get into that, first we need to deal with the claim, okay, the, the devil is claiming he has control of political empires and powers. Can we really believe that in our modern day? I mean, intellectually, we, we scoff at the idea of a devil. And yet, practically... We absolutely believe this and talk this way. Democrats speak like Republicans are influenced by supernatural evil. And Republicans speak like Democrats are influenced by supernatural evil. So all I'm asking you to consider this morning is that maybe some of the people who vote with you are also influenced by supernatural evil. I thought that was mildly funny, but apparently no one else did. Okay. <laughs> Joking aside, this is a dominant theme in Scripture. Uh, it's why Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, when he sang about Jesus, he wrote these, these words. 
That Jesus is coming into the world to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The message of, of the Bible is that in this world we sit helpless under the power of supernatural evil. A while ago I was sitting with a friend who was in the process of, of completely destroying his life. It's causing enormous pain in the lives of everyone around him. He didn't see it, though. He was going to divorce his wife, was already committing adultery. But he believed, given enough time, his kids, his wife, all of us around him would see he needed to do these things to be happy for his mental health. And as he's explaining all this to me, he lets out these words. He says, what I'm about to say might sound really arrogant or self-serving. And then he went on to say an incredibly arrogant and self-serving, cold-directed statement at everyone directed in his life. And when he finished with it, I just said, you know, when you started, you said, this might, might sound arrogant or self-serving. Why did you say that? And for a moment, our eyes met. And he knew. I'm self-deceived. I'm a fool. But he said nothing. And after a long silence, he just shrugged his shoulders at me. How do we come to believe such foolish and ridiculous things? How do we become self-deceived? And the Bible's answer is that there is, there is actually a supernatural evil loose in the world seeking to deceive you. And Jesus' response to, uh, to all of that is he just responds simply to the devil, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That Jesus sees that the kingdoms of the devil, for what they are, darkness, the shadow of death, they are power structures led by people who do whatever they want, no matter who they run over in the process. He sees those kingdoms, and he has no interest in them because his father and the kingdom of his father has his heart. A kingdom where the poor and the hungry are lifted up. A kingdom where humility is treasured and valued, where the king is willing to starve in the desert. It's a very different king than the kings you and I know in this world. These are not the kingdoms of the world. And that's often why you and I end up starving in the desert. That many human beings have lived under structures of unjust kingdoms and kings. That's largely what we're witnessing now in Ukraine with Vladimir Putin reigning violence and injustice, invading a foreign country. But it can be much smaller than that. You just be a boss who uses his power to protect himself and to harm anyone who might get in his way. Whatever it is, this, this world is filled with kingdoms and people using what power they have to say, your life for mine. That's what my friend was doing to his family. Making decisions irrespective of how his decisions was bringing harm into other people's lives. And we do that too, don't we? Make decisions. We don't, we don't care how they affect other people and we end up... Starving in the desert, either because 
Like my friend, he ended up alone, or because other people have done that to us. But that's not what Jesus is doing. He's the Son of God, starving in the desert. He doesn't have to be here, because power does not have his heart. The Father has his heart. You shall worship the Lord your God. Him only shall you serve. So what has, what has your heart? And one of the best ways to meditate on what has your heart is to ask the question, how do I use the power that I have at my disposal? And you might hear that and think, well, power is something that only, only Joe Biden has, not me. This isn't relevant. That's not true. My, my seven-year-old son has power over his three-year-old, daughter, uh, three-year-old sister. He's bigger. He's older. He may not be brilliant yet, but he's certainly smarter than her. And he can use all of those things to make his, his sister scream in the back of our van, as he did last night. Satan starts each temptation to Jesus asking, if you are the Son of God. And it's it's clear, Satan's not questioning whether that's true. It's true. He's saying, since you are the Son of God, what are you doing out here? Sons of God don't go hungry. Sons of God don't use their power to starve in the desert. So what are you doing out here? Look at my kingdoms. Look at my kings. They don't live like this. You don't have to live like this. And so how do you use your power? Like the kingdom of Jesus or like the kingdoms of this world? What do I do when I raise my voice at my kids? Am I really trying to exert my power over them? I'm bigger, I'm louder, do what I say. It's what I do when I I speak harsh words to someone. There's no grace, so I'm I'm gonna verbally assault you to get my way. How do the people in your life experience your words and your presence? The people you work alongside with. The family members that you live alongside. Do they experience you as someone who, who you use them to get what you want? Or do they experience you as the way we have experienced Jesus, which is he's starving in the desert. That Jesus is fundamentally different than us. He looks at the landscape of the kingdoms of this world and he sees violence, oppression, and justice. And none of that has any interest to him. The Father has his heart, so he worships the Father. He's a king starving in the desert, yet he is spiritually strong. So why is he out here? Why is he out starving in the desert? Well, okay, we've been through the first two temptations. The third one, I think, answers that question. And the third temptation has always been the most interesting to me. The devil takes Jesus to the top of the temple and invites him to jump off because the angels will save him. And maybe this stood out to me as a kid because boys tend to like, how, how high of a thing can I climb off, jump off, and not die? That's a thing boys do for whatever reason. Maybe that's why. Uh, but now my, my reason's different as an adult. This is really fascinating. Because the devil now quotes the Bible at Jesus. And it's a pretty good quotation. He quotes Psalm 91 at Jesus. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. 
Psalm 91 is a psalm about God protecting someone from physical harm. I have a friend of mine, and I will always think of that friend whenever I think of this psalm. And the reason was for a long time we had a weekly phone call together. He was memorizing scripture. He had to travel a lot for work, and so this was a means of accountability. We scheduled a time, and every Wednesday afternoon we would talk, and he would recite scripture to me. Psalm 91 was one of those texts. Psalm 91 was dramatic because a friend of his who was in the military was converted through my friend in Psalm 91. The military leader was supposed to go to a a checkpoint in Afghanistan one one day, uh, but got called away on the last second. And had he not been called away, he would have gone through that checkpoint and been um, killed by a terrorist bomb. And when my friend gave him Psalm 91, he saw that as as the Lord's salvation over him and became a Christian. It's a powerful story, at least for me. And listen to the words of this psalm, God's protection of the psalmist. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes a noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand by your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Here's how the psalm ends. Because God holds fast to me in love, or sorry, because the psalmist holds holds fast to me, God, in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life I shall satisfy him and show him my salvation. It's beautiful. That's why Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple and quotes it at him. And I think this is the clearest evidence Satan knew how Jesus' life was to end. So why is he on the temple? Lots of tall places he could have taken Jesus to. Well, that's the place of God's presence, his protection. The place of refuge from danger. The place of worship of the Father. Where you don't need bread because the voice of the Father built that place. The temple. Also led by the place, led by the people who will kill Jesus. End his life. So why then does Satan quote a psalm at Jesus? That promises God will keep you from physical harm. Because Satan is looking at Jesus knowing this isn't true for you. Your life is going to end on a cross, suffering alone. An absolutely brutal death. So if you're the son of God, why would you ever do that? God the Father treated the author of Psalm 91 better than you. And you're his son. So jump off the temple now. You don't have to suffer. You deserve better than this. And Jesus responds, quoting scripture again, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus in that moment is saying to the devil, I I will not question the faithfulness of my father. I don't need my father to perform for me to trust him. And I will trust him even though my trust of him 
will lead me into suffering. Even though the, the, the promises of Psalm 91 will not be true for me, I will trust the Father. Jesus' trust of his Father includes suffering, and that's, that's very different than the modern American vision of religion. In 1999, the Dalai Lama was asked, why, why are so many Americans interested in, in Buddhism now? It continues to be a popular trend. His answer was this, we all desire happiness and wish to avoid suffering. So it makes Christianity a, a truly terrible religion for Americans. Because the heart of our faith is an instrument of torturous death. That's the difference between Jesus and every other religion. As John, Douglas John Hall wrote, the basic distinction between religion and Christian faith is the propensity of religions to avoid precisely suffering. To have light without darkness, vision without trust and risk, hope without an ongoing dialogue with despair. In short, Easter without Good Friday. That we all want to get away from suffering. And that, that's right. Suffering isn't in and of itself a good thing. And, and yet many of us, we're starving in the desert because we're suffering. Longing for the salvation of God. Longing that God would make Psalm 91 true for us. And so when I hear that Jesus is someone who will bring light to those sitting in darkness, what I hope is that Jesus can make Psalm 91 true for me. That he can meet whatever threatens me. That when I call to him, he will answer me. That he will be with me in trouble, he will deliver me. And I'm guessing you all want that. Wherever you are in your own spiritual journey. You want a God who will meet you starving in the desert and pull you out. So why is Jesus the Son of God? The one who's going to fill the hungry. The one who's going to cast down the mighty from his thrones. Who will bring light to those sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. Why is he starving in the desert? Why would he ever do this? And the answer is he's starving in the desert to come and get you. He's in the darkness to break us free, to give us light, to set us free from the ways we listen to our own voice and the voice of others that lead us into slavery and to harm the people around us. To set us free from the powers and the structures, the leaders who use their power to do what they want and to do us harm, be they politicians, pastors, or a boss. And through all of these temptations, every human being throughout history has failed. We have all listened to another voice. We've all at some point used our power to run someone else over. And here's Jesus doing what, what we do all the time, not doing it. Doing what we didn't, being who we couldn't. He's out starving in the desert because that's where we are, that's where humanity is, and he's the only way we can get out. But more than anything, Jesus has come so that we can lay claim to the promises of Psalm 91. So that in our deserts we can pray, He is with us in trouble. He will rescue me. He will honor me. Jesus did not demand the safety of Psalm 91, but embraced the whore of the cross so that we could be a witness. God can bring salvation not just in spite of suffering, but through it and because of it. And that's what Jesus is starving out in the desert for. It's for you to know there is no desert, nor is there any kind of suffering that he cannot pull you out of. The story of the life of Jesus is not, is not a victorious political ruler who trounces his enemies. He's the one trounced by his enemies. 
who's executed by the political powers of his day, who refuses to yield to a broken, dark world so that you and I could see that the powers of this world do not matter. Be they politician, be they your own suffering, whatever it is in your life, they are irrelevant in light of Jesus. They can put Jesus on a cross. They can put him in a tomb. They can disgrace his body and put him through the most shameful death human beings have ever conceived of. But even in death, Psalm 91 will be true for Jesus. Jesus, whose life says, I don't need bread. I have the voice of my Father. I don't need what this world has to offer. The Father has my heart. And even if that leads me into suffering, even if the snare of the fowler gets me, the Father knows the way out of the grave. And he will call me by name when that day comes. So why is Jesus starving in the desert? Because ironically enough, in a morning where our lights don't work, the desert is the place of darkness. And Jesus came to bring light to those sitting in darkness. So where's your darkness? Have you failed to listen to the voice of your Father? Have you been captured by the power, the glories of this world? Or are you just helpless in suffering? Whatever your desert, desert is, even if it's death, Jesus knows the way out. The voice of the Father can lead you out. The power of Jesus is that he used his power not to, to grab for himself, but to starve in the desert and to end up on a cross for you. And his suffering did not end there in the desert. It, it ended in resurrection life. So, Jesus went into the desert to get you out. My question to you, have you let him? Let me pray. Father, the things I, I need rescue from, that's, that's a long list. So we gather today as a people, those of us who believe in the rescue of Jesus, to say that, that list is not too long. And we come because we believe in your deliverance. And whether our testimony this morning is, is Psalm 91, you, you, the snare of the fowler was real, you pulled us out. Or, no, we got trapped, but we're still waiting in deliverance, for deliverance. And Father, may you hold us in faith. May we, we have the spiritual strength of Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, to listen to your voice, to say no to this world, and to wait for your vindication. Father, help us to that end, I pray in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.